Happy Friday, and welcome to a new episode of This Week in Apps, a weekly, no-fluff, day-the-first-roundup of interesting news and trends about mobile apps and games. This is Ariel from Figures, and I'm a little bit delayed today, but I still have five highlights for you today. And we'll start with Peacock. So I look at streaming apps a lot, and pretty often, you probably know that already. And while the big pair, which is HBO Max and Disney+, Plus, continue to hold their lead, they're not the only ones that are seeing serious revenue growth. NBC's Peacock has been growing steadily this year, with subscription revenue increasing consistently month over month. In July, Peacock saw its biggest increase in net revenue, by absolute numbers, that is, since launching in 2020. According to our estimates, Peacock earned, after store fees, $5.4 million in July from the App Store and Google Play combined. Now, if you rewind to June just a little bit, the total was $3.8 million, so one summer month and an increase of $1.6 million, and that's in net revenue, so that's after Apple takes their cut and after Google takes their cut. Now, just I, I looked back to see what that amount amounts to, and Peacock brought in $1.6 million for the whole month in February, February of this year. So between February and now, they've gotten to this point where they're making more money. Now, I believe this demand is a result of the current, we're no longer in lockdown, but we're not really out and about situation. And it's coupled with a lot of kids who are just glued to their TVs because there's really not much else to do between schools not being operational and not having anything else to do outside. Now, will it continue as summer comes to an end and, and things in real life resume? I think so. I say that because we're looking at revenue coming from iPhones and Androids, so mobile devices. We're not looking at TV sets. In a world that's quickly evolving into phone-first, streaming is no longer a home-only kind of experience. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I think we're witnessing the early land grab days of video streaming, and us as viewers means we're going to get loads of discounts. We're going to get new content that's really easy to access, And we're going to get all of that, even if the economics go against the platforms. I'll take it, (laughs) you know? So while I think it's eventually going to get back to where TV kind of ended up before the days of Netflix, that sort of stagnation, I think it's going to take a while. And I think we are going to enjoy having content on our mobile phones. I also, me personally, maybe I'm just old school, I don't watch a lot of content on my phone, and I always have this weird disposition when it comes to thinking about these streamers, but pretty much everyone I know does. And everyone I know is extremely comfortable sitting on the couch at home and watching a video on on their phones and not on the TV that's right in front of them. So I think that's just going to continue. Now, another popular app that's hit a new high um, last month is Discord, the gamer-friendly chat app that declined a huge offer from Microsoft not that long ago. Since it introduced in-app purchases back in 2019, Discord's revenue has been consistently growing month over month, with one exception. But in terms of cash, July of 2021, just last month, was the biggest. It was the month, if I can emphasize the the. According to our estimates, Discord hauled in 5.7 million in net revenue from the US alone, and this is from iOS and Android users in July, in a single month. And that's up 12% from June, and June was 11% higher than May. I can go on, it's all like that, but I'll save you the number game. The trend is very healthy. And just so you have a tiny bit more context, we can zoom out a little bit and look at numbers by year. So we're still going to be in the US only across the App Store and Google Play, but between the two, Discord raked in just 2 million in 2019, 
and not too shabby 2 million. And then that jumped to 19.7 million in 2020. Now, so far in 2021, we're about eight months in, we're at $35.4 million, and this is a net revenue, so after the cut of Google and Apple. And that's with four months to go in the year and double-digit growth of month over month. I really expect 2021's total to, to triple that of 2020. And I think that's a big deal. Discord operates in this like weird place where there isn't a lot of competition. Slack might have the features, but it isn't at all aimed at the same crowd. Uh, quite the opposite. I think people leave Slack to go and talk in Discord. Microsoft Teams, even less. So unless something big happens, unless someone new jumps into this, and unless we see maybe someone else shifting to put more emphasis on gamers and on games, I just don't see how Discord is going to be dethroned in any way. It just cemented itself as the popular choice, the only choice, I think, for this sort of chatting. So unless they mess up terribly, this growth will continue. And I bet you there's an IPO coming, and I am looking for that IPO, and I'm not even a real gamer. So I think that's going to be really, really interesting to keep an eye on. Now, at number three, I'm shifting gears a tiny bit to something totally different. Earlier this week, <laughs> tiny bit and totally different, I mean that. Earlier this week, popular meditation app Headspace announced that it's merging with another company, another app called Ginger, which offers mental health services on demand via app. Now, considering Headspace popularity, I found the, the merging aspect a little bit surprising because when have you seen a good merger recently? It's all acquisitions. Now, to try and understand why this is the path that Headspace chose, I decided to take a look at one of the most important numbers of all for financial decisions, and that's revenue. We've looked at that for pretty much everything. I mean, even the two things that we looked at so far in this episode. And so the numbers are interesting. I looked at Headspace and I put it against Calm, which is an app that does pretty much the same thing, guided meditations. They're a little bit different on functionality and depends who you ask, they'll tell you they're like one over the other, but for the most part, they offer a similar type of service. Headspace was actually leading in revenue, but that was back in 2017. Since then, the equation shifted a little bit. In the beginning of 2018, Calm started taking over and slowly started growing and growing and growing and growing. And at this point, by the end of the, of, by the end of July, I'm gonna leave this in because it's not really cut worthy. By the end of July, 2021, so last month, the gap was double. So Calm had about 4 million of net revenue in the US and Headspace had just 1.9 based on our estimates. And in addition to the absolute number, numbers that we're seeing, the trend Calm is on is, is very healthy. And Headspace is not that healthy. There is growth, but it looks like a struggle to get there. There are a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And I think that's the reason that we're seeing a merger as opposed to an acquisition. We've seen again and again and again and again, revenue is the king of metrics. And it's how many, if not most, if not all financial decisions, especially around these sort of things from um, acquisitions to IPOs are made these days. I suspect that the struggling trend is what made an acquisition just harder to, harder to get enough people to sign off on and a merger made more sense. And also given the language surrounding this merger, which focuses on big numbers, how many employees they have total and how many people they've served, yada, yada, yada. Um, I think this is a move that will try to get growth fast and then immediately go after an IPO. I don't know if that's actually gonna be the case, but I have a feeling that's what's going on because there is money in the sector. There's a lot of new emphasis on mental health and the tools that you can use 
And I will talk about this in just a little bit, but everything is moving to app. Apps are becoming the way we interact with pretty much everything. They're nice, they're easy, and with something like mental health, they're really, really, really convenient, way more than anything else that has existed before this trend really took over. So I totally see how uh, a merger would now position them better, more well, uh, in the eyes of investors as they probably seek an IPO or maybe a big raise and then an IPO, but I think that's the path. Now, would I invest in an IPO for them? I don't really know. I don't know this area too well other than knowing what they are and what they do. And I think that's going to be kind of a big bet for a lot. But this is a trend. This is happening and a lot of people are talking about it and I think it's an important trend. And because of the convenience that this offers, I think we'll see more coming from this particular set of apps. Now, switching gears completely, not a little bit, I rarely talk about the Mac App Store, and that's because not much goes on in the Mac App Store. If you're developing Mac apps, you know that firsthand. If you're not developing apps, well, you know that probably secondhand too. But this week, I wanted to quantify that sort of gut feeling that I have of nothing is happening by looking at how active the store really is. I'm going to save you a lot, and if you want, you can fast forward this. The short answer is it isn't. It just isn't. The slightly longer answer is it isn't, and it's actually slowing down a little bit. In 2020, developers released on average 392 new apps to the Mac App Store every month. Month, yes. The actual figures range between the low 300s and the low 400s, so the average is kind of a, a good estimate for how active it is. For context now... The App Store, the iPhone App Store, saw 40,000 new apps on average every month in 2020. That's 100 times more. But let's continue this story because so far in 2021, the average number of new Mac apps has actually dropped. And now it's at around 343. But the variance is also growing drastically. And the new low end is now at around the low 200s, not 300. Now, so what? You know, why do we care about this? Why do I care about this? I think that with the new M1 processor, the promise of iOS apps on desktop became real. And I personally see a lot of potential there for many developers. I think it's going to take a little bit of tweaking and it's going to take a little bit of, of understanding how smaller apps, not full screen apps, can work on a desktop. But there's a lot of opportunity there and I see it. I see it for apps like ours even. But there's a problem there because this can really go in two different directions. Once enough M1-equipped computers are in the hands of consumers, and just given how many apps will become available kind of instantly, users will be forced to use the Mac App Store to get apps. Now, that's one possibility. They'll just need the apps, and they'll go to the Mac App Store and get the apps. Boom. Apple's happy, consumers are happy, and developers are happy. Win-win-win, maybe. But the other possibility is that because the Mac App Store is just not something anyone uses, I don't think a lot of people see it as a destination to consume apps. It's also possible that users will just skip the whole experience and kind of forego getting iOS apps on their Macs. I don't think that's actually what's not going to happen. I think that's what's going to happen because the concept of smaller apps on the on a big screen, it's going to take a little bit to get used to. So if you have a channel where you can consume them really, really easily, you'll give it a try. If you really have not opened the Mac App Store, which is what I imagine a lot of people who own a Mac have never done, unless they absolutely needed it for something, then they're not going to go there and look for iOS apps. And maybe developers will be able to convince people to go into the Mac App Store and download apps. 
I think that's mostly going to be inbound links. And it's not going to be the kind of thing that I go to the App Store to get stuff. So App Store optimization is not going to have the same impact. And advertising might have some impact, but then it really depends on the app. And it's going to get really problematic. So I think unless Apple does something, something, something big for the Mac App Store to make it relevant and make it useful before the M1 uh, wave comes and sweeps all of the Mac users, um, I think the future of iOS on Mac is not going to be as strong or even possible. And I think for the most part, people will just prefer to use iOS apps where iOS apps belong, and that's on their phones or iPads, iPad OS. And so I think that's kind of a, a do or die for the Mac App Store. Um, the realist in me thinks that nothing is going to happen and this is just going to be a failed opportunity that will maybe, maybe Apple will try to do something within the far future. Um, the hopeful in me wants to see more. So I hope Apple will do something. If someone from Apple is listening, please do something. If you need ideas, I have a whole bunch. But for the most part, if you're a developer and you have an iOS app, I think it's always going to be worth it to make it available on the Mac App Store. Just don't expect anything too crazy yet. That's my take. That's what I'm going to do. Now, last but not least, it's no secret that I like me some scooters. And looking at the numbers, I'm definitely not the only one. I'm pretty sure I said this multiple times, but the numbers continue to show me that I'm correct. Downloads of Lime and Bird, which are the two most popular scooter rental services in the U.S., have reached new post-pandemic highs this summer, actually over the last few weeks. Combined, the pair was downloaded more than 288,000 times in the U.S. last week and a similar number the week before. And in the same week last year, downloads were roughly a half at about 147,000 for the pair, based on our estimates. The figure represents the peak downloads also of 2020, so 147 was the most that they got. And the numbers we're looking at now could go up from here. It's hard to tell. The trend here is, I think, much larger, larger than just scooters. As big cities settled into a post-lockdown lifestyle, many pre-pandemic habits and routines will change and morph. And if what we saw over the last year continues, many of these new habits and routines will involve a mobile phone in some capacity. It could be ordering right, it can be unlocking a scooter, it can be talking to a therapist, it can be uh, getting in some sort of an exercise coach. I can go on and on and on and on about all the things that we used to do in real life and used to do without a phone and now do only through a phone, from a phone. So if you think about it, this is another gold rush of apps. It's the, the gold rush of the 2008-2009 time is coming back. It's obviously very different. And considering how mature the industry is and um, how many things have happened since and how many businesses have been built around the App Store, the kind of silliness that we saw making headlines way back then is not going to happen again. Instead, I think there are opportunities and they're real and they're bigger than ever before. And on that happy note, I'm going to say happy Friday. If you liked any of these insights and want to see them from, for any other apps, head on to appfigures.com slash intelligence to access our entire database of app intelligence and competitor intelligence. And if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast and please tell all your friends, like all of them. Go out and make sure every single one of them knows. And if you can't do that, just tell one or two or three or six. Happy Friday. See you next week.